0: We happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother.
1: You're listening to Oh Brother, When Art Thou, and now here's your host, Neil
0: White. Welcome to Oh Brother, When Art Thou. I'm your host, Neil White, joined as always by my brother, David, and we appreciate everyone who's listening, even if you're listening in the shower. (laughs) Course, with COVID 19 on, you know, everyone's commute's been cut a little bit shorter. People are working from home. So you got to find interesting places to listen, whether that's in the shower, doing the dishes. It's all good. Just keep on listening. We love it.
1: I feel like we're learning a lot about your podcast listening habits right now, Neil.
0: Wherever you can get them in, it's all good, is what I say. So for everyone who's listening in the shower right now, we should get to the podcast. David, that means I have to ask you the question. Oh, brother, when art thou?
1: Neil, it's May 19th, 1780, and it is the end of the world. Are you sure that's not 2020, David? Neil, it's crazy. It is madness on the streets of the cities of America. In Connecticut, the sky in the middle of the day has just turned black black as pitch, black as the middle of the night. People are terrified. There is rioting on the streets of Salem. There are people convinced that the end of the world has come, that it is God's judgment day. And in the legislature, the Connecticut legislature, there's actually a motion introduced to adjourn the session so that all of the legislators can go to church to pray for their very souls. That is how people are responding to this sudden, bizarre, and unprecedented occurrence.
0: Well, David, I think it's telling that the politicians would feel they need to go to church and pray for their souls. Wait, back up a second. I never said that motion
1: passed. In point of fact, one of the most... Famous events to come out of this day will be the speech of Colonel Abram Davenport. Colonel Davenport was one of the legislators I just referred to in the House of Representatives in Connecticut, and when he was confronted by this unexpected motion that they adjourn to face God's judgment, he announced Either this is not the Day of Judgment, in which case there is no need for an adjournment, or it is God's Day of Judgment, in which case I choose to be found here,
0: doing my duty. So, Davenport feels he wants to die doing what he loves, legislating. Some other legislators are not so keen on that, they'd rather be in church praying set this scene for us. The sky goes pitch black. The legislature's about to adjourn or trying to adjourn. It must have been chaos right throughout the state. Well,
1: this is a fascinating moment in history because it's 1780. We're roughly in the middle, not chronologically, but maybe strategically would be a good way to put it in the middle of the American Revolution. The early years of the Revolution, of course, are over. The famous battles of Lexington and Concord in 1775, 1776, that's all past. obviously, it's 1780. But the British haven't been defeated yet. The war is dragging on. General Washington's army is up in the north. The British army is focusing on operations in the south. Both sides are skirmishing in occasional battles, but for the most part, it's a quiet year with more guerrilla raids and internecine civil war kind of fighting loyalist against patriot rather than a year of dramatic big battles. But that doesn't mean that the revolution isn't being felt and having an effect all the way through American society. And at the same time as the obvious Revolutionary War, there's another quieter revolution that has been going on for a longer time in New England's society up until this point, and that has to do with religion. At the end of the 1600s, there was what was called the Great Awakening, this powerful movement for greater religious experience driving people to be more religious, more Christian and more Puritan. But now it's decades later and some of the fervor has started to die. And in its place, there's been more of enlightenment philosophies, more efforts to understand the world around them, not through the lens of faith, but through the lens of science. But now they're facing something that is inexplicable something that science simply cannot
0: explain so David there's some reasons to suspect that it may in fact be judgment day we're in the middle of a war and people are becoming perhaps less religious if there were things that were gonna lead to the end of the world these might be them
1: certainly there are plenty of people in the newspapers of New England who are happy to explain the signs and importance the way That the revolution throwing overthrowing the old order, or the way that there's been crop failures and exceptionally difficult winter, and people have theories about what might be signs that this is, in point of fact, the apocalypse of the book of Revelations that the world is coming to an end. But they're not the only people with opinions in america unsurprisingly and there's another strain of discussion going on that views it as something that must be natural they can't explain it no one in 1780 has a good explanation for what the heck just happened there but they are trying to and as they weeks pass as the day recedes from immediate lived experience into memory they start to find that it was experienced somewhat differently in different places connecticut the sky just went black middle of the day reports say it happened very quickly and it was bizarre and it just stayed black for the rest of the day and into the night And when the moon could finally be seen, it was blood red. And you can certainly understand how in Connecticut, which also was home to a powerful Puritan community who felt that their importance and reach were declining, that this would be a biblical kind of scene, the sort of thing that they would see as a portent of the end times. But in other places... Well, say Washington, General Washington, with his Continental Army, also saw an unusual atmospheric phenomenon on May 19th, and he wrote about in his diary. He said that the sky was uncommonly dark, with a bizarre red tinge around the edges for practically the entirety of the day. And certainly... He was disquieted by the fact that the sun had disappeared, but he didn't view it in a religious sense at all. Washington was a committed deist, and he sincerely believed that it must have a rational explanation, which he simply was not privy to. But for our purposes, what's important is to note that there's big differences between The sky is very dark with red around the edges versus it's just pitch black. And in other parts of the States and all the way up into Canada, Quebec reported bizarre aerial phenomenon on the same day. But again, there's different reports and this led to different theories about what it could have been, what could have made the sky dark.
0: So David, we heard that Davenport, the colonel in the legislature in Connecticut, wanted to keep working. Washington wasn't disquieted. He didn't throw down his arms and surrender. What were the reactions of people? What were the things that people were doing in response to this crazy phenomenon? Well, you had the full spectrum of human reactions. There are some
1: clergymen whose diaries have come down to us who talk about how people were Literally going to their houses and hammering on the door to try and pray with them, to have somebody pray with them because they viewed it as a religious phenomenon. But we also have reports from the town of Salem in Massachusetts, famous for its witch trials a century earlier, which reported that the sailors in the town were suddenly uncontrollable, they also felt that this was some kind of disaster, natural or supernatural, didn't matter. In the face of it, they were running through the streets, breaking open all of the alcohol that they could find, and accosting women who happened to be passing by. So many of the descriptions sound very quaint today, but it almost sounds like there was a full-blown riot there. But then in other places, the only real references we have to it treat it like a joke. We have references from British loyalists in the colonies claiming that their superstitious and ignorant neighbors, who clearly supported the revolution, thought that it was the devil working for King George who was doing it. And there doesn't seem to be any serious suggestion that that's what people really believed. It was just another chance to continue the culture war between those who wanted to remain loyal to the monarchy and those who didn't. But then again, you have people, reports of farmers just going back inside. It's the day becomes dark as night and you can't see what you're doing. No point continuing work, just go back inside and get yourself a couple of hours of extra sleep. So different people react to it in different ways.
0: A full gamut of response, David, from religious to alcoholism to just getting some sleep. So, David, obviously they couldn't explain it at the time, but we know that the world didn't end because we're here doing this podcast right now, so there must have been some explanation for it. How long did it take to figure out what the heck was going on in 1780?
1: Well, I've mentioned that in the weeks, as the weeks passed after this mysterious event, that people started to write to the newspapers about it, and after the first burst of religious enthusiasm, many of them were trying to find a scientific explanation. Now, a bunch of those scientific explanations are laughable today. Uh, There was one apparently sincere letter writer who wrote in trying to explain that clearly this was caused by the fact that the winter before had been unusually severe. He argued that since snow melting would become clouds, they must have just gotten so many clouds on this one random day in May that the sun was blocked out, which seems very unlikely now. But others had perhaps more plausible explanations A common one at the time was actually that it was a volcano. They understood that volcanic eruptions sometimes blotted out the sun, and they didn't really know what was to the west of them in North America. So the theory that a volcano just beyond the explored edge of North America had erupted was surprisingly common. But, of course, modern science and modern explorations of North America have rejected the theory that there is a giant volcano that erupted in 1780 because we would have noticed that. But another theory, also proposed at the time, although sneered at as unlikely and unscientific in 1780, but now broadly accepted. Well, Neil, why don't you think about some stuff that's in the news these days, and think especially about general washington's description of the sky turning red and see if you can come up with a theory for what happened
0: well david it's interesting that you mentioned the volcano blocking out the sun of course we don't have volcanoes like that here in north america that might have been active in doing this but we have seen blocking out the sun from wildfires in the pacific west coast so was it possible that that might have been the answer So
1: you asked me earlier how long it took us to learn scientifically what happened. So let me tell you about an expedition, a scientific research study conducted by the University of Missouri in 2007, 13 years ago, not that long ago. They were interested in the history of Algonquin Park right here in Ontario, specifically the history of its trees, which are studied by scientists for many reasons, including learning about the past of the climate, uh, learning about the levels of various gases in our atmosphere in the past, which are all very important topical reasons to research. But as they were collecting samples, another thing that they're capable of checking is, through tree ring analysis, they can determine when there were forest fires based on the scarring inside of tree rings that only occurs when there's a major fire next to that tree in that year. And as it turns out, their research showed from tree samples gathered from across Algonquin Park from some of the oldest trees in the park, widely separated in the park, I wanna stress that, they found that there had been a major fire in 1780, and that given that some of the trees on the boundary of the park also showed signs of fire, it's very likely that it actually extended beyond the park, making it possibly massive, one of the largest fires in Ontario on record, if that's correct. Although, who knows? But the upshot is that modern scientists and historians believe That New England's dark day was actually caused by an absolutely massive forest fire in Northern Ontario that was simply completely unrecorded at the time because there were no Europeans there to see it.
0: Wow, David. Well, when you see what's happening in the world today in California and Oregon, it makes sense that a massive forest fire could block out the sky. It's hard to imagine that it wasn't noticed, that there was no one around to record it but in that time it may have been. Northern Ontario, when you start to think about how
1: large an area of Northern Ontario could be on fire today and if specialist Firewatch didn't notice it not get immediately reported and then you consider how sparsely populated it was then And how few of the population would have been literate to pass on those stories of course the indigenous peoples who lived there and probably experienced this entire thing would not have written it down the theory that yes there was an absolutely massive forest fire and it did not get reported becomes very plausible
0: now david you said that the forest fire theory was scoffed at by people in New England would experience this end of the world event were there not other forest fires like this that would have happened and would have maybe caused this sort of phenomenon that might have keyed to them that this was in fact a forest fire
1: well a big thing is that it's not something that happens frequently certainly not something that happened frequently in colonial New England so people who might have read of strange atmospheric phenomenon associated with a forest fire, not personally knowing about any forest fire that might have caused it, would have believed that what was happening couldn't be caused by a forest fire. It was so much more than what they would have expected from just reading it that it just seemed very implausible. Also, various amateur scientists of the day attempted to calculate how much ash would need to be in the atmosphere to make the sky appear as dark as it did but with their limited understanding of atmospheric optics they thought that it would need to be quite a substantially higher amount than is actually required and there were questions about whether that could even stay in the air so the short answer is even though There were people who had experienced similar things who understood that they were caused by forest fires. That doesn't mean that people living through it on May 19th, 1780 were able to believe, without the evidence of the fire, that the fire must exist. But now that we know there was a fire, we can say very confidently, where there's smoke, there's fire.
0: And it only took us... 227 years to figure it out
1: i never said we were fast learners neil
0: thanks for telling us
1: this story david thank you neil i always enjoy telling these
0: and we're certainly hoping for the best for everyone experiencing forest fires right now it happens all too often these days and we definitely want everyone to stay safe and stay healthy david we like to end on a lighter note so how about a quiz to finish off the podcast
1: All right, I think we could use a lighter note right
0: now. And we always, once in a while, like to do these quizzes where we look back at a certain day in history. And so today we're going to look at May 19th. No, 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 that would have been too much of a coincidence if I had picked that day entirely separately from you. No, the day of our quiz is September 30th. So this quiz is all about events that happened on September 30th. All right, what do you got? Let's start in 1399, when this man was proclaimed the King of England, the first king since the Norman invasion who spoke English as his mother tongue.
1: 1399,
0: you say? That's correct. Oh, man.
1: And obviously, September 30th. September 30th, 1399. Who was crowned King of England? Oof. Oof. I honestly don't know. I'll guess King Stephen.
0: I appreciate the random guess, David. It was actually King Henry IV, the first king whose mother tongue was English after the Norman invasion of England. One of the Henrys. Should have known. Jumping ahead to 1791, this famous opera by Mozart was first performed two months after his death. A posthumous opera by Mozart.
1: Well I'm actually not sure which of Mozart's operas was posthumous so I'll just guess one of the more famous ones how about the magic flute?
0: You nailed it David first performed September 30th 1791 in 1915 a soldier from this country fighting in the first world war became the first person to ever shoot down a plane with ground-to-air fire. The first person to shoot
1: down a plane with ground-to-air fire. What country was he from? So I honestly don't know the answer, which means it's probably not Canada, but it doesn't give me a lot more to go on. So I will guess
0: France. France is a good guess, David. He was actually a Serbian soldier. Rajo Lucevic, my apologies if I'm mispronouncing that, He was the first soldier ever to shoot down a plane with ground-to-air fire which reminds me of episode 41, The Cowboys and the Spy, David, in which the Canadians, also in 1915, were trying to shoot down planes using just a rifle. Not the most advanced of techniques, but everyone starts somewhere. And it worked for Rajo Luchovic, so there you go. A famous birthday on September 30th, David, in 1924 this author was born. And he became famous with stories like Breakfast at Tiffany's and In Cold Blood. Breakfast at Tiffany's? Wasn't that a movie? Many of his books did get turned
1: into movies. The author of Breakfast at Tiffany's and In Cold Blood? I have no idea. Just none
0: at all. A favorite of Impressionist David, Truman Capote. Very distinctive author. If you say so. And our final question for you. In 1968, the first airplane to be called a Jumbo Jet was unveiled to the public. What type of plane was it?
1: A jet developed in 1968, unveiled on September 30th. The first to be called the Jumbo Jet. I do not know what it is, but when I think Jumbo Jet, I think the Boeing 747, so that
0: will be my guess. You got it, David. The Boeing 747, perhaps the most famous plane ever. The first ever jumbo jet. Thanks for playing along, David.
1: I always enjoy it, Neil.
0: And thanks for listening.